lawsuit, Rap City Chronicles. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is uh, David Bradley, aka D Brad. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Rap City Chronicles, the podcast for the hip hop intellectual. I'd like to introduce my co-host and co-creator, Ray L, who's going to be our curator for today's event, podcast, I should say. And then also we have three of my favorite people in the industry. It's a pleasure of mine. One, my man, Greg Butter-Trent, former producer. But Greg, you'll be able to introduce yourself more formally in a moment. Then we have executive producer, Kevin Taylor. Kevin, the same goes for you. Then we have... Deidre Gary and Deidre in a moment because I just slided you did not tell everybody some of your credentials. Make sure you rock it and let everybody know what you are doing and what you are about. And Rayel, we're going to throw it to you to let you get everything started. Good evening. I'm Rayel. And we're going to start with Butter. My name is Greg Butter Trent, B-U-T-T-A, not E-R. So get that, get that right. Um, I am... A Rap City alumni, I was there from, I don't know, 96 to 2004, I guess. I started from the bottom and made it to the top, as they say. Started from the bottom, got to the top. <laughs> and right now, I, um, I'm doing a lot of freelance things. I have my own production company. I'm working on some projects right now. And that's called Butter on a Roll Production. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to Miss Deidre. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Deidre Gary, and I am from San Diego, California. I have just relocated back here to Cali. Um, been in New York since 1993, came into the industry in 1993, working at Sony Music as a receptionist for Don Einer and um, then I ended up working for Don Einer and Tommy Mottola during that time. So I was a receptionist and like a second assistant and a third assistant. So that was my first time jumping into the industry. Then after that, I started working into um, video promotions and that's how I met these amazing men who came in my life. When I came in working with Gary Fisher, Columbia Records, I was his assistant. And so um, working with the different networks, which included BET. So we dealt with every possible artist. So if you know Sony Music, you know Columbia Records. And when, during that time, Columbia was, um, not Columbia, but Def Jam was a part of Columbia at that time as well. So there's so much that, so many artists that I've come across that I've dealt with. And then once I left Sony, which was in 99, I got a job over at Arista Records. So I was at Arista LaFace, Bad Boy at the time. So I was doing the same thing, video promotions, and also doing a little bit of production stuff, but nothing too heavy. Um, and then after once I was laid off from there, which was, I think, a year after when they were bringing L.A. Reid in, then I started doing independent, independent video work. So I started doing more um, content placement, which is now considered content placement. That's what they call it now. So it's not really like video promotions. It's more like content marketing placement. So content marketing. That's what I, yeah, content marketing. So that's what... I've been doing since two, since 2000. July 2000 was when I started. I was um, working at Arista, got laid off on a Friday and was working as a contracted person with them that following Monday. And then it took off ever since. And my first, my first um, client was TVT Records. So I was with TVT Records. And as everybody knows, Little Johnny, Side Boys, Ying Yang Twins, Pitbull, um, 
I mean, it was, you know, that was, that was my first really um, great breaking of an artist. So yeah, that's what I, I started working with them. And then after that, it just went down a lot of different labels, Capitol Records, um, Universal was a very, was a very long time client of mine that was with them for like eight years. And then um, Epic, I still did some stuff with Columbia and then a lot of independent, a lot of independent clients as well. So and up until now, now with most of 2020, I haven't done as mu as many artists, but I do work, still work with a lot of independent artists now. So I still do content placement and still um, tapping into TV TV and film production work, which, which I've been delving in since I've moved back here, um, lost a ton of that work when COVID came. <laughs> so <laughs> back to the drawing board. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, back and retrieve this shit again. Um, so uh, now it's back to the drawing board. But yeah, this is, I'm, I'm back in California now and it's, it's great to be back. So, but I miss New York and I miss my, my people in New York. And last but not least is Mr. Kevin Taylor. Uh, I came to BET in 91. Watch this. I came to BET in 91 as the executive assistant to the director <laughs> of music programming. The next year I became the music researcher and record label liaison. The next year I uh, um, so the original director of music programming was Lydia Cole, uh, 93. She went on maternity leave and Cindy Mahmoud gave me the opportunity to interview Natalie Cole, my favorite singer, and then said, make mm -hmm. a show. And that show became Lyrically Speaking, which ran from 93 to 96. Uh, Natalie, uh, Lena Horn, Anita Baker, Patti LaBelle, Stevie Wonder, and uh, got the opportunity to fly to uh, Denmark and Germany to do Tina Turner. Um, also, um, uh, I know, right? out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Butter and I were together with Cindy when we created Access Granted. Uh, the end of the year, Butter, I'm just giving honor to Butter, Butter named Notarized. Remember, there was a contest to name. Oh, you did do that. I forgot about that. Yes, you did. I forgot all about that. I won yes, you did. Look, I won something, but I don't know what. I don't remember <laughs> either, but you did win something, a gift card. Or something. I remember that. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Then I, then I created a, a video link. Um, then, oh, we moved video to, then we yeah. moved to, <laughs> then I was producer of specials then moved to New York in 2000 helped, uh, helped them to start uh, helped to start 106 in Park uh, worked with Laz Alonso on uh, AM at BET yo then, yeah Look, then, I'm sitting here thinking I forgot to say all that both of y'all talking now and I you, feel you, like you, you, you smoothed over but, but because you're the direct connection to, uh, to Rap City Butter you're going to come back in and clean that up so, right, I mean, right. yeah um, yeah I ain't get mine either I was just being on the low like Rap City I ain't know what's going on like that <laughs> I see chronicles on my screen so we chronicle it right? word do your thing brother then came to, uh, then came to uh, New York uh, as supervising producer of series and specials, where we did BT Next, uh, 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 Access Granted, Notarized, uh, created a show called Testimony, where I uh, interviewed mm -hmm. and uh, Sade and Mariah Carey. I was Mariah Carey's last interview before her nervous breakdown, literally minutes before it. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, my last, uh, no, it really wasn't. 
So um, on um, in January 2001, I became a pastor while still at BET. August of 2001, I was with Aaliyah on the Rock the Boat shoot where I was supposed to yep. be playing with her. But mm. uh, but uh, God rest her soul, Gina Smith asked me to change my flight uh, while we were still in Miami. Mm. Um, and so all of the stuff that ensued about after that that we'll probably talk about. And then uh, all of the press around that because I literally had the last footage of those eight people who died in my hand. Uh, a weird week of pressed up, a, a week off from BET. The next week, Penny McDonald asked me if I wanted to, if I was ready to come back to work. I said, yes, Monday, Tuesday. She said, are you ready to go back out? I said, yes. Tuesday, September 11th, I got on my first flight after Aaliyah and was on an American Airlines flight on my way to LA that they put down in Kansas City and told us that all American Airlines flights have been attacked. Penny called me and almost passed out because I lived in Harlem. My flight was originally from Newark, she said, nope, that's stupid. You live in Harlem and changed my flight to LaGuardia. But thought I was still on the flight that she originally booked, which was from Newark, which hit Tower 2. Left and uh, left and did. So the pastorate thing kind of took over because literally my last six months at BET as a full-time employee at 106 Apart were ministry. Praying with Maxwell, Jill Scott, praying with label execs. Literally in, in the green room, praying. Took the next year to kind of build the church. And then I was like, hey, Lord, I'm a producer. I'm bored. What do I do? And Lord said, produce something. I was like, you said leave. He said, nope. I said, stop being a full-time employee. I didn't say stop doing what you do creatively. And Gail Northern at BET, uh, BTJ called me. And we, then I started uh, Lifted with, uh, with Tony, which we did for four or five years with uh, gospel music videos. Then created a show called Parallel Pass, where I put people together who uh, do the same thing from different perspectives. So Kendrick, the family soul, interviewed, uh, interviewed Astrid, uh, Astrid and Simpson. Jeff Johnson interviewed Al Sharpton. Talib Kweli interviewed Dr. Cornell West. We did that, we, we, we were one of the few interviews that the Reunited LaBelle did and, you know, did, you know, still been in production. I just did research on the BET 40th anniversary at the end of last year. And they were scrambling, looking for stuff that I got in boxes behind me. <laughs> wow. So that's good. a lot, Kevin. That's why I said we, I have legends on this screen. That's, that's what we have. We have legends up there. Everything was legendary. Ray Allen, I'm going to throw it to you, brother. Definitely. Um, I would like to say also it's an honor to have you on the show this evening. Um, definitely a pleasure. As well as you, Deep Ray, you know you're my partner. You was around during all this. So, you know, it's okay to tell me thank you. It's a few questions I want to ask. But I want to go back to Butter because Butter said he had more to say. Come on, Butter. Resume. Please. I didn't have necessarily more to say, but I guess I didn't get into some of the stuff. Like even what Kevin said, Kevin didn't really say it, but when we moved from D.C. to New York, <laughs> Kevin and I were one of the only people that got moved with the team. Like they started hiring all sorts of New York people and New York producers and Kevin and I were D-Brad D-Brad they brought me down immediately and uh, Kevin and I also sat in the tryouts for 106 and Park like with Pick AJ and Free we were involved in that process and I remember distinctively how some of the people didn't like AJ but I liked AJ I was like mm, something about AJ and then, you know, hey, look at it. 20, mm -hmm. I don't know how many years later, AJ. Became Literally 20. Dead. It's 20. Yeah. 
and they're having mm -hmm. an anniversary coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, who, okay. who is twenty years of one hundred and six in Park? AJ has been yeah, interviewing people all week, all month. He's been interviewing right. different people. Oh, and, I'm bad. Oh, I'm out the loop. <laughs> you out the loop, <laughs> So you know, I was just uh, appreciative of how much input I was able to do. Like to start off, I didn't give this background, but I started at BET in the fashion department. I was like a stylist assistant, and I was just picking clothes for people. But it got kind of hairy, scary. Me and my supervisor wasn't really getting along, and I was about to quit the whole process. But Brett Walker and his producer at the time, her name is Pam Alvo, they were like, yo, don't quit. We, you know, we value your input because I wasn't just picking close for them. I would ask, well, what is the story? What are we trying to convey? What do you, what do you want? So they said I had the mind of a producer. And they asked me, had I ever thought about being a producer? And I was like, no, I never thought about being a stylist. I lucked up on that. So they put my name in the hat to be a producer on one of the new shows coming up called Unreal, which was a traveling show and it traveled around the country. And Kevin mentioned Lydia Cole. She was the vice president at the time. She allowed me to interview for the position, but she said, I love you. A lot of people love you. She said, but you didn't go to school for television and film. So why should I hire you as opposed to some of these interns around here? Well, at the time, or prior to BT, I used to be a travel agent. So when, in that interview, I told her, I said, well, the show is going to be a traveling show. I said, and I used to be a travel agent. I said, so I can book all your travel and a lot of places you might be going, I've been there because travel agents travel for free. I said, so I could be that person. And she basically was like, you know what? That was the perfect answer. You're hired. I got hired on the spot because they needed somebody to book the travel ahead of the time. Mm -hmm. So that's how I even became a PA and got into the whole TV thing. And then that show got canceled. And Rap City at the time was also traveling. So Rap City producers were like, we want him. We want him. We need somebody to do our, our travel. So that's how I started with Rap City. And then I just climbed the ranks and ended at the top. Like I said, started from the bottom and ended at the top. Mm -hmm. so, uh, Kevin, did you, did you get into how you got hired at BT? Like, no, and it's funny. Because I want to go to Deidre, too, how you got started. Because I have a weird story how I got started. We just how our brother got started. So like, go it's, ahead, crazy, it's crazy for Butter to tell that same story about like not be. There was almost blood in the hallways of BET when Cindy Mahmood said, "You're gonna produce produce a show, do the interview, and create it." Because I went to school for English, Spanish, and accounting, but walked into <laughs> BET uh, when when Lydia made me music research. No, actually, as Lydia's assistant, I tripped on the fact that the producers didn't have any kind of. A tangible resource to be able to go to and say, oh, so we got Aretha Franklin on tomorrow, or Janet Jackson, or, you know, Maxwell, and they couldn't pull out a file. 
I went home, literally, as executive assistant, went home and pulled out crates of magazines and spent the night tearing apart Jets, Ebony's, uh, Black, uh, Black Beat, uh, Black Star, like literally this library of black music that I had and came in like in within a week had a full library. Like people were like, what is that? What, Janet Jackson, how do we have a Janet Jackson file this fat? And, um, and it was because, you know, some of us came into music excited about black entertainment television. I was there in March of 91, and I was like, so what are we doing for Black Music Month? And they were like, uh, uh. And you know me, I was like, let's have Diva Week. They were like, what's that? I was like, let's bring in all the black icons and, you know, sit them down with Donnie and give them an hour. We had uh, we had Shaka Khan, Patti LaBelle, Phyllis Simon, Nancy Wilson, Diana Ross. And it was pandemonium in the hallways because... You know, we had never had that kind of onslaught. And I was like, how could we not? We BET. You know, I, I, again, I went to a Quaker liberal arts school and, and studied English, Spanish, and accounting. But I came into BET black. Black. And was not ashamed of it. So we would sit in meetings and people would say, I'm going to, uh, to, to interview Aretha Franklin. You know, when did respect, you know, when was respect the number one? When was it? I was like, April. 1967. They were like, why do you know that? And my conversation was like, we black. Why don't you know that? You know? And because of the memory, I was able to spit out stuff kind of like that, which is where Cindy got the, um, Cindy Mahmoud literally called me into her meeting, uh, into a meeting, got this interview with Natalie Cole, go home and write some questions. And I thought that would be my closest connection to my favorite singer. I'm gonna go home and write a bunch of questions for her. She called me in the next day and she said, so, Natalie Cole was the first black person to win Best New Artist? Yep. Oh, and, I, and she said, and the, you know, because of Unforgettable, she also became the first black woman to win Album of the Year. And she didn't know that. She's like, I've decided who's going to Natalie was before Whitney and Lawrence. Natalie Maria Cole was first. Wow. <laughs> Which is why I was so pissed at the Grammys for treating her like a side note. But that's another conversation. And so Cindy called me <laughs> and she said, I've decided who's doing the interview with you. And I was like, for what show? She said, I don't know, created. I was like, oh my God, this is not this happened. She says, it's how it's gonna happen for you because you've got something. I remember working with Scott Perkins and Reggie Ransdale and Art. And I was like, you know, we built the open before anything. And, you know, Natalie literally hit the air and Luther Vandross was coming off too and said, hey, I got a new album promoting. I want to do that show. And, I, and then Luther began it. Anita, Lena, Lena, Tina. Oh, Lena, Patty, Stevie, Tina. Forgive me. <laughs> I have if I'm going to drop names, I'm going to drop all of them. I'm going to go back to something you said about Aaliyah. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into it, but my thing is, I want to know what went on in the course of that week with you working with her. You know, just explain how it felt. How was it on the set and the, the energy? Before, hold on, Kevin, before we go to that really quickly, I wanted to give Deidre, I apologize, I wanted to give Deidre an opportunity I, I need to shut the door. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I think I had told you guys, but I mean, before then, before I had gotten over, I had gotten to Sony because I went to Howard. When I went to Howard, I was an intern at BET. So I was at, I was at BET as an intern for a while. I was there for maybe like three years. And I was under Larry Han Holland, Keith Pasha. Larry Holland. And Randy. Um, remember Randy Franklin and, um, <laughs> and Sherry Carter and Sherry Carter. they were my two big sisters and um, 
uh, I mean, I worked, I mean, and, and Donnie was like, you know, Donnie was like Uncle Donnie, but he was just so, he was just so cool with all of us interns at the time. And, um, and it, it was, I think Lydia was there at, it was while Lydia was, 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 when Lydia, was Lydia there? No, Lydia was there when I was working out. This is before Lydia got there. And this is when I was interning because I wanted to get a job at BET, but then after college, there was nothing, there were no jobs. And it was my, me and my girlfriend, Rayshawn Harris, I don't know if you guys know her, because she was, Rayshawn, she worked in the music business too, but she, we went to Howard together and she was an intern at BET as well. And we both couldn't get, there was no jobs. And the only person who ended up getting a job was our girl named Suzanne Morris. And Suzanne was working on Teen Summit. And so that's how we ended up, we ended up leaving and then moving. Um, me and Malak, Chris Rock's ex-wife, we both moved to New York together, moved to New York. We moved to Brooklyn together. And I had an internship at EMI and I was working at Jennifer Convertible. And then um, I think I was working there for like six months. And then I had, I had applied for a gig at Sony and then Sony called, hit me back. They didn't have any assistant jobs. They only had a receptionist job. So I'll, I'll take it, you know, let me just get in the door. You know what I'm saying? So I, I got there, got in the door and then it just took off from there, but I mean, it was probably one of the probably the best experiences that I've, I've ever had. You know, I, I, I can never say that, you know, it was a, I can't say anything bad about it. You know, during that time that we worked in the business in the 90s, going into the early 2000s, I mean, it was incredible. We were very hard workers. I think most people don't seem to understand how much we set it up for these motherfuckers now. So I was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like really set it up because honestly, even, I mean, even down to the part where I was, I was able to be on Sirius. I was on Sirius for three years on a radio show for three years on a radio show that I wasn't even paid for. I was doing it because one of my boys was a producer there and he had a, it was called Coast to Coast Hip Hop Countdown. Me, Hot Dog and Ralph McDaniels on that show. We had all the people. We, wow. had, we knew everybody. So we had everybody. But Sirius wasn't feeling wow. us because we weren't trying to, we weren't helping out their people. So when Shave 45, like we, we set the platform for the Shave 45 and everybody who's popping on Sirius right now. They, we set it up for them because we had the most, we had the most listeners. So it was kind of like we were the, we had 13 million people in the Philippines. Then we, we were on in eight other markets. And then Sirius wasn't giving us nothing. So they ended up canceling our show because we was like, well, what are we going to sit and talk to y'all about? Ain't none of y'all paying us. <laughs> we do what we want to do. And there was, they wanted us to, yeah. they wanted us to help out their people when we had artists come through. You get what I'm saying? Like if I had a Tony Braxton or yeah. Beyonce or, you know, Jay come through and they're coming to our show. They're like, well, why can't they come to everybody else? I said, because they don't have the relationships. We do. So they come to our show. So that's how it works. So no, not going to happen. So it was that type of thing. And we went on, we held on for about three years. But then after, you know, Sirius was like, well, it's either you do it our way or don't do it all. We were like, okay, well, we don't want to do your way. We don't have to do this anymore. So it was all good. But, um, but like I said, working in video, um, doing video placement and, and promotions was always really great. I learned from, um, Gary was really great. I learned a lot. I learned everything from Gary pretty much. And then just he, he left it open for me to learn a lot. And um, having these relationships and seeing everybody flourish the way that they have, you know, like even with Steven, you know what I mean? I knew Steven Hill when Steven was at MTV, you know, before he came over to BT, you know, just watching all these different um, careers just blossom. But my job was 
was to, um, as an independent content um, placement person, my job was to get the videos put on, on, on BET. And um, so I had to deal with the programming department. I had to deal with everybody in programming. And I dealt with, like, and I would deal with the producers when it came to the shows that we were pitching for for the shows. And I always had, you know, um, I, I feel like I had really um, pretty great relationships with some people. And some people I didn't have so great relationships, relationships with. Some people were just really, really fucked up and horrible to me. Well, at BT. I mean, there were some more. I just won't remember mentioning names. Okay, they were. They were just horrible. And I can say that. That's D. Gregory, everybody. Not D. Brad. I didn't say that. Everybody said D. Brad to be the one to say that type of shit. And ain't me. I've been smiling the whole time. I'm just... It ain't me I'm or saying, Kevin. Nope, it was never you two. <laughs> if anything, y'all would have me on the phone, like, just like, Deidre. <laughs> God, I got you. Let me just give me a minute. You know, you guys always have my back. There was a lot of people who had my back, but there were just some people who were just hard to, not to penetrate, but it was just kind of like, I'm just doing my job. I'm not here to kiss your ass, nor am I here to sign your autograph on your on your on your on your picture. Like, I don't need you to need you signing. I need you signing anything for me. Like I'm I'm doing the same thing everybody else is doing. I just came to do a job. That's it, you know. And it just became a thing where, you know, in the industry, it's like you have these circle or cliques of people that I noticed and I watched this for years. It's like, you know, I wasn't one to run around and smoke weed with people. I wasn't sleeping with everybody. Um, I wasn't, you know what I mean? I just wasn't, I wasn't caught up in that circle. You never saw me at every single party. You know what I mean? It was just, I just did my job. And it's not to judge anybody else. I mean, do your own thing. But um, I love music. You know, I love people. I love visuals. I love production. I love, um, I love breaking artists. I love um, promoting artists. I love pushing for artists. I love working behind the like scenes. I said, I, I mean, it was, I said it was a great experience. And I think, even with the relationships I've had with the people at BET, there's so many people I've been knowing for so many years and we remain friends. You know what I'm saying? We, we, when we see each other, it's all love. It's, it's, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? But like I said, I mean, it wasn't the easiest, this isn't the easiest job in the world. I mean, it's easy when you are, I guess it's easy when you're ripping off clients and paying other people to put your stuff on television. But other than that, you know, it's just, it's not an easy job, but it is definitely about having really great relationships and definitely having great visuals and having, um, and, and believing in artists and believing in music and believing in especially in new artists, so many new artists out there. And it's just unfortunate that um, we've gotten to this point where I just feel like music, I don't, I'm not going to say music is bad. I don't want to say that, you know, I'm just going to say that music is different. It's just, it's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you old. That's why you say it's bad. It old people horrible. think it's bad. I don't okay. think it's bad. I just think, I think the, I think the mentality, is, mentality is different. I think the work ethic is different. I think the industry has changed a lot. I think they've taken a lot away from us. And when we talk about black and then we come to black entertainment television, we talk about black music, how black music departments were taken away. That was like, a, that was really, that was really a, a travesty for us to have something like that taken away. We ruled that. We ruled it. And it's still, people are still making money off our culture and what we do and how, and our music and, and, and our, and our style, our beauty, our everything down to our lips, our butts, down to how we dance. Even how we talk now. <laughs> they, yeah. talk, they talk like we they talk like us. Yeah. 
So I, um, are you on, Deidre? Can we hear yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, you can okay. hear me. Okay. But I mean, like I said, it's just, it's just, it's one of those things where we, um, it's like I said, music is just different, and it's just. I hope at some point that we're, you know, that that it, that it changes. Not not to say it goes back, because you have to evolve with time and with what's going on today, but. I don't know it's just it's it's just different it's not I, I really appreciated working in music during the time that I did because it, it was it was really authentic and we really really we worked really hard we took care of each other we looked out for each other a lot um, you know it was just that's when it was great and that's where money was being made and, and music was just really a big deal yeah. now you know even our a-list artists are they struggling too so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I, my personal opinion is I think they took the soul out of the music now. This generation, the music don't have no soul, no feeling, no energy. Everything's computerized versus going in the studio and, you know, your producer make the beat right there with you, with the MP, and you be involved. I think the artists are less involved in the music where it lacks that soul that it needs to actually help the culture. Uh -huh. They're less involved and they're less invested. Like, at the end of the day, yeah. you can yeah. make this clean, pretty little sad song about something, and when you go to the Blank Award show to do it, you don't have to offer anything new to it. When we, you know, I appreciate, I'll take old D, but yeah. I know what it feels like to see Faith Evans bring us a video and then come on a video sold and do it and break a sweat. And we've been like, that girl good, you know what I mean? Like now you don't know what good is because it's so much more about replicating a look or how many dances you have that there is no soul in it. And, 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 and the soul is not just the black AF of it, it is the heart of it, that now it feels like money. It feels like the, the, the joy of it has been taken out of it. Because right. performers right. don't perform anymore. They, you know, they present. Right. You know what I'm saying? They, right. I, I, I mean, tell it because yeah. the truth is, the truth is with all of this COVID that's happened and us having to doing award shows and people doing them in these kind of separately presented things, Truth is, most of those performances look the exact same way they look on the stage at the live event. It's just the same thing without the audience. I want to make this little picture with dances and stuff. It's the same little foolishness with no audience. So it doesn't, doesn't make that much difference. But doesn't that happen? I would, I would lobby out there that that happens when anything is corporatized. I think like it's interesting. Like my beginning was at MTV. I talked my way into MTV. Um, I used to run around following Lee Harris and Penny McDonald and Jack Benson around. I was a pain in the ass because I was up, but they were like the only black people around. And I saw it early at MTV, as I always say, when I was there, 96, 97, every day at four o'clock, the executives sat around and watched Rap City. And they told me why they watched Rap City so they could see who was who, what was what, and can we mainstream them? So, you know, I talked my way into BET as well. Uh, I think Eric Parker who did the Nas film, MN19. He used to intern at MTV. And he put me on the phone with Pernella Neely. And man, I talked her head off. And Pernella was like, boy, send me in your resume. <laughs> so I sent it in the resume. I got on by the book under Doxy McCoy and Pernella Neely. And I don't know if you know this, brother, but I had to talk my way into Rap City as well. Uh, when I was interning at MTV, I met on the elevator a PA named Daniel Lazarus. And she told me she was leaving to go to BET. And I jokingly said, I'm going to be there one day. And she was like, yeah, all right. I never forget. She looked at me like, yeah, all right. 
<laughs> and she went about her business. And um, I got Craig's name because an MTV producer told me to cold call people. So I saw Craig here. So I started seeing the producers, and I saw your name. And Melanie, I saw Craig. So I called up. They let me talk to Craig. and say, hey, my name is Dave Brad. And Craig was like, whoa, 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 what? I said, I need a job. He said, and, he, and Craig hit me with the Hollywood tour. He said, if you're ever in town, give me a call. <laughs> a week later, I talked for Nelly, nearly into hiring. But, but I believe that they hired me because they saw MTV and VH1. Because my first internship was on a RuPaul show. <laughs> that was my very first internship was on a RuPaul show. I ended up being friends with Justin Timberlake when I was in college. And he told me all of his career was going to happen. And I watched it like, well, this kid's amazing. But anyway, so I, I, I talked in at my first day on the campus. I'm going out of hall. I run smack dab into Daniel Lazarus. And I said, I told you I was going to get this job with BET as well. Daniel goes around the corner. I hear her say, hey, Craig. And then they start talking. I run around the corner, and it's Craig Henry. And I said, hey, man, I just got hired. And he said, who are you? I said, I'm the guy that called you. Craig didn't remember. And then he said, all right, well, when the, your show is over, Come see me. Bet. So that's why, but I started following you and Melanie and Watson around on the low. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I was like creeping around. I was noticing who was who. So Craig and so Melanie, Eric, and Butter were the three people that I looked at and said, that's what I gotta get to. Butter didn't play, Butter took no crap, Butter was respected, Butter stood for his own shit. Whatever it was, he stood in his square. I admired that. Melanie just had this shit where she could walk through the room and be like, it would not even touch the floor. <laughs> that was Melanie to me. Melanie's feet never touched the ground. Eric Watson had the look. I said, he looks, he stands, he walks like a producer. So the three of them, so if anybody goes with D. Brad was a problem, blame Butter, Melanie, and Eric Watson. Because I took all those aspects from them and corrolled them up in one and said, now nah, that's what I want to be like. So... I got on because I don't know if you do you guys can because DJ you would have been there, but Kevin and but do y'all remember when we used to have in the DC campus a little get togethers once a month right. in the black building? Oh, remember that and we, we had this it was every other every week, every Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every Friday it wasn't Friday, they Fridays, Bobby. That's what exactly BBQ Fridays. So there was one time where there was a rap battle, a rap off between Corp. And to be in the Rap City building. And um, uh -huh. somehow I ended up on stage because Alex Jones had taught me to get him and Jules, like, man, get on stage, yes, son. You know how they, you know, you know how you DC talk. You bad, you know. <laughs> so I get on stage and I'm rhyming. And I don't even know if y'all remember any of this. All of a sudden, I hear somebody spin these old school whack ass rhymes at me. And I look over and it's Craig. And I'm like, oh, hell no, this dude is whack, but I need a job. And at that moment, I decided I was going to go at his neck. And I said, if I'm going home, if I got to go back to New Jersey, I'm going to make sure this dude remembers me. And I went at him. Years later, Craig said that's why he hired me. He said, because he couldn't understand. He couldn't believe that I needed a job. But I would go at his neck the way I did. And he said from that moment, he was like, if I'm going to have a soldier in my, my camp, I want to do like him. And that's how yeah. I could exactly finish. But he said, come to the Rap City meeting tomorrow. But he never told me until we moved to New York. And that's how I got on Rap City today. Following Butter, Melody, Eric Watson around and, and, and battle rapping Craig Henry. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's a great story. It is a true story. That is a really good one. The irony was watching Lee and Ramon Bugs 
and Pity Mac all come to BET. Because I was a little kid. Lee saved me from getting evicted off the beach house when I was an intern for running my mouth to the brass mob too much. <laughs> and they were looking for me. Lee, Lee kept hiding. I kept wondering why Lee was like, don't worry about it. Just stay over here in this room. The whole day, Lee has kept me in a room to keep the executives from kicking me off the set. Running my mouth too much. His mouth. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is all, all you, Rayon. Go ahead, brother. Do the, be the curator that you are. So what we're going to do is we're going to take it back to that question. I'll just give a little information on how, just like I said, how was the vibe? How was, how was it that week, being that you was there at the I love y'all. One of the things that, you know, uh, uh, that D-Brad, Butter, and uh, Deirdre can tell you is something, something about the culture we were living in got us deeply, like, like ensconced with artists. We weren't just kind of like, hello, goodbye. They were, when we showed up on sets, they were like, oh, BET is here, you know? And so yeah. Aaliyah, I lit up, which is public knowledge, Aaliyah was on 106 in Park on Tuesday of that same week because she was doing a giveaway. And so we met in the, you know, we met, we connected in the green room. And um, I said, so I'm going to be a producer on the set for the, uh, the uh, access granted. And while I was talking, she said, oh, you look familiar to me. And I was like, because I walked you and R. Kelly onto the set of Video Soul back in 94. She's like, oh my God, that is you. And so it was just this, already this instant familiarity. We went to Miami. And uh, so we came up with a sign, because remember at the time she was kicking it with uh, Damon Day. So mm -hmm. I, was just, you know, yep. I was pretty sure that Dame was going to show up in Miami. So I was like, look, we need some sort of strategy. Some sort of <laughs> so that if he shows up and he walks in the shot, it's not captured because she was trying to you know, after all of the whisper, whisper about R. Kelly, she wanted to actually have a, a, a an actual relationship. So we came up with this, like, if you see me do this, or you do this, my cameras go off. Because at the end of the day, we, like, we weren't trying to hurt, or you, we weren't trying to be, grab some sort of scoop, you know, on the stuff we were doing. We were protecting our own. We here to do this shoot, we here to get to capture all of this behind the, you know, the behind the scenes sauce, that's it. Do that, yeah. And so we had a great time, we shot in Miami, as I said, Gina Smith, asked me to change my flight uh, because she's like, you know, you're on a spot with her, but Lily needs her privacy. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not shooting on the plane. Ain't no gas on these little flights. It's not like jet versus 20 seater. Mm -hmm. um, but you're talking about what it was like, man, you know, uh, it was like, it was like family because you saw how these artists and, you know, I, I can't say all of them because that's what Deirdre was talking about. Some people get real gassed up, real full, Real feet can't touch the ground, but Aaliyah mm -hmm. was very little sister to everybody. Her makeup mm -hmm. artist, her security, her hairstylist—they all seemed to want to take care of her. So when the camera wasn't rolling, they acted a fool. It was just silly. It was foolish. It was come over here, get in the water, actually, you know. And so there were times when my crew would be shooting. I would have to do that to get out of the shot. Um, so it was just, you know, it was what BET did. Anytime we showed up, it was a family type thing that. Um, that ended up with me, you know, she changed my flight. I had to go to Baltimore anyway, because as past I was preaching on Sunday. And so I walked them all onto the catamaran and I was like, there's really no way to get footage on the catamaran any once they, once they pull off. Mm -hmm. um, and my last shot that my crew got as we were walking, watching this crew walk through was Aaliyah, Chris, Eric, Anthony, Keith, Scott, Gina, Doug. They all ended wow. up in this shot some sort of way, just in the movement of the way they were walking. Mm -hmm. And by the time, you know, my phone started ringing about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, we found out, I found out that Aaliyah had died. And that's one of the things that, that, that's real trippy 
about, you know, Butter was saying, I mean, uh, uh, D. Brad, you were saying, how you watch the credits. People don't think about that, that, you know, that, you know, that there are relationships behind the scenes. So everybody's, you know, mournful and crying about Aaliyah. But I preached at this church in Baltimore and walked out of the door, and then Penny Mac called me to say, so, it's Aaliyah, Chris Maldonado. Because at the end of the day, all that was on CNN was that Aaliyah was there. When Chris mm-hmm. was there with Aaliyah. Uh-huh. Maldonado. Remember that guy? I was already friends mm-hmm. with Maldonado. You know, because he used to be makeup artist for SWV. And performing. Mm-hmm. You know, this, I'm, like, I'm telling y'all, bro, bro, imagine what it feels like to get light at it. Because everybody's talking about one name, and somebody calls and reads you eight that you just spent the last three days with. There was some right. moment in the line, some moment in the lab. Going to Doug Crash from Virgin Records, like, Doug, bro, I see you, dude, calm down. You're being very Jewish about this budget. Just, you know, with the Virgin money tight. And I was like, bro, calm down, please. You're missing, you're missing Miami. You're missing the strip. And so when the names got read out, it was like the world spun because it was, it was like the angel Aaliyah ascended. And then all these, you know, the kite ascended. If you were then all these kite strings were with her. So the trip back to New York that night, you know, was insane because I didn't even want, you know, it was like, oh, I wanted to go up somewhere and hide. And for whatever reason, 95 was packed. And I promise you, we left Baltimore like 5 o'clock. I didn't get to New York till midnight. And we were at 106 and Park at 1230 because we had the last footage of Aaliyah. Like, wow. Wow. And, you know, and I run ahead and Penny, and I was like, here, take it. I remember, I was like, here, take it, take it. And Penny was like, Kevin, I need you to understand this. Nobody knows what's on these tapes but you. So, and literally, Gina, Gina Cushenberry got assigned to wipe my nose and hand me water while I, re- while I screened those tapes that night. I didn't need mm. 4 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, I was uh, a car outside my door taking me to CBS, whatever it was called, with Brian Gumble. And that whole day was, you know, was the opportunity, you know, to make sure every time I got some, because it was, it, was, uh, it was CBS, it was Entertainment Tonight, it was VH1, it was MTV, it was BET Tonight that night. And it was just, then I got home and it was paparazzi, uh, paparazzi outside my door. I was like, what the hell is this? And it was just the opportunity to speak names because everybody was saying Aaliyah. And I was like, it's not just Aaliyah, it's Christopher Maldonado. Eric Foreman, Anthony mm-hmm. Cotter, Scott Gallagher, mm-hmm. Keith Wallace, Douglas Kranz, Gina Smith. Mm-hmm. And every chance I got, I said all of their names. <laughs> but, I mean, bro, it was rough because, you know, we have been in all the playful moments. The public gets to just see the music video. We there laughing because it's 5 o'clock in the morning. We waiting for the sunrise, right? And so mm-hmm. the sunrise is beautiful. Rock the boat. laugh about that before the camera starts rolling. You had these moments where you get to have this silly moment with like, you know, a young lady that you treat like a little sister that you know is going to be an icon. Like, you know, I say it all the time and people don't like it. If Aaliyah were alive, Beyonce would still be a destiny child. Real. Said it. And I, said, I have a question, Kevin. Can I ask you a question? Now, uh, being from the outside looking in, the rumors was always that she didn't. She really didn't want to get on that plane. How was it? What was the energy like when you were around her? Like, was she 
at peace or because I've heard just that she didn't want to get on that plane. Right. And so the energy around her was peace. She was real happy. She was real sweet. When she got there, there was a couple of uh, Bahamian kids who were like at the airport and you know, one of them wanted her to sign something, so she took one of the shirts out of her own bag to sign it because they were so excited. They just got there and didn't have anything to sign. What a lot of people don't hold to task is that Lily and them got there on a plane, and they thought that was the same plane that was taking them back. People said, but uh, people want to say oh. stuff like the plane was too heavy and it carried too much stuff. I was like, stop acting like she went on a shopping spree and had heavier bags. If anything, she left with less clothes because she was giving stuff away to people at the airport, the young kids who met her there. And it was a she didn't, there was there was nowhere to shop. There was barely any place to eat. There was no acquisition of anything new. So that eerie feeling was that a there was talk that the, there was you know the toxicology report of the pilot came back a little suspect mm -hmm. for, you know for some something and they knew it wasn't the same plane and they were getting this kind of come on we gotta go you know and i think that feeling that that that, that uneasiness was like the rush of this is not the same plane and maybe just something in her spirit didn't feel connected to the way he was you know trying to uh, go on and just be quiet because right gotta deal with the fact you know that that conversation about her and entourage and you know heavy things is a very Hollywood picture to play. You know what I mean? Private jet sweeping out. Oh, I'm bringing all eight of my bags, and I don't care what you say. She came with the same people and less clothes. Thank you, Madeline. Period. And now um, I have to ask you one more question, not to cut you off. Um, do you think she was happy with Day? Do I think she was happy with? Yeah. Do you think she was happy as far as with everything going on? Do you think? I mean, I, I I know what we saw in Miami. I know what it felt like to see her turn and be like, you know. You know, coquettish enough, and she was already in his in his arms with his hands That's resting dope. quietly on her butt before she looked over and realized, oh wait, cameras are still rolling. And then you know, no, we didn't. We soon I saw like girl, I saw him come past the wave, the you know, <laughs> the, the, the the CG panel when he first walked in here. The camera been off five minutes. And so that's why she was always, that's why she was so willing to be so engaged with me because I had had her back when she forgot to. So she seemed happy, you know, I don't know what stage of the relationship was in. We saw that he didn't come to Bahamas. So we saw them just, you know, kicking it for the afternoon in Miami while she's riding the high of a song doing so well that they forced it to be a single, you know? Mm -hmm. That's how big Rock the Boat was. They had a whole another video done <laughs> to be on that kind of high. More than a woman's already filmed. Now I got to run and do this thing because radio was forcing a single to be a hit. When's the last somebody got a forced hit? She was on a she was on top of the world. That video, she pulled a pop when he did. I ain't mad at you. When she, I mean, gosh, it was almost as if the young lady knew or hype knew. I mean, the video was. Bro, <laughs> I have not said this out loud. Mm -hmm. There was a point when we were in Miami, and Aaliyah's beautiful shots were done in um, uh, in the University of Miami diving pool that went down. Like I was going like, to ask you about that those right. diving and pictures so, that the, really took me out. I was like, wait a second. When she came up out of the water, afraid because she couldn't breathe, because if you know. It starts to take on a different kind of compression in your chest. Which you're supposed to mm -hmm. take in a bunch of air, go down, take the shots, and come back up. But once or twice when she first started, 
she had this look of just kind of, like you said, like a discomfort. And so there were nightmares um, those first couple of weeks because I hated that my face knew what Aaliyah's face looked like in fear. You know what I mean? When she came out mm -hmm. and it was this kind of moment where she herself. So yeah, but yeah, some of those some of those shots, D Brad, you know, especially it was one where you can see the light and it feels like in the water she's ascending. Closing shot because there was no final thing image to leave people with. Other than Aaliyah. That look, that was nuts. Did you see how it dropped? And that's what drives us conspiracy theorists crazy. Because we yeah. look at something like that and we go, wait a minute, somebody knew something. Something's going on. <laughs> how you gonna tell me as a conspiracy theorist that I can't take that image and go, wait a minute, something's going on. <laughs> Okay, so I want to just kind of bounce off something Kevin was just saying, where he was there and uh, somebody, Aaliyah's rep, was like, oh, don't get on the plane. You know, she's not feeling like, you know, this, and she might not be comfortable with that. What I found is a lot of times, not you, Deirdre, because I never felt this with Deirdre, but some reps would try to speak for the artist and would try to tell you something the artist wouldn't do uh, just to try to make themselves seem more important. Like making the artist seem like you were talking, Kevin was talking about how sometimes, the, or Digi was saying some of the artists or some people are a little feeling themselves or feeling extra. That was something that we ran into a lot. And I'm gonna say one incident that I can think of right off the top of my head was when we did the ladies of hip hop. <laughs> we had Ooh, all the hot females that, you know, were in the industry at the time. And we had a certain amount of time where we had to shoot the show. So we would have them <laughs> coming in back to back, lining them up. And we were at the last person, and I think she was the last person, and it was Trina. And we were waiting for her to come down. And, you know, I'm producing, I'm looking at the clock. We running out of time. I'm like, what the, what, what's going on with Trina? What, what's going on? So everybody raps, oh no, she'll be down, she'll be down. And I was like, man, I can't wait. I went up to the green room and I got to the door and the rep, one of her reps was standing outside the door saying, well, she's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. You need to give her time. And I was like, man, look at the clock. We don't have a lot of time. She's anchoring the show, and she's about to mess it up. I said, we need Trina to come out now. And the girl was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just, you know, I can't, I'm not throwing out any names. I don't know what to tell you. Ain't nothing you can do. What can we do? And I walked up, and I said, we can do this. And I knocked on the door. I banged on the door. <laughs> and then Trina opened the door, like, what, 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 what's going on? I said, Trina, we run out of time. We need you right now. And she was like, oh my God, nobody told me y'all were ready. That, oh, that, 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 that,
And I remember distinctly as I was walking away, I looked at that rap and I said, that's what you should have did. Like, what are you standing outside acting like she in there having a baby or something? I don't know what her. Oh, and there being a diva, like, <laughs> she's the problem. Right. Like, she was going to make everybody wait and think Trina was the diva. And it wasn't even Trina, it was her trying to be right. extra important. And that was one of them things that we ran into a lot mm-hmm. with the, yeah. the artists mm-hmm. and, and, and getting them well, to can do Can I tell a story right. real quick? What Butter, uh, uh, Butter, I think you remember this, Butter. The arri- Were you there then? The arrival of Whitney Houston to BET. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. Wait, wait, wait. Was now this I in got, DC? Harlem, right? DC, when we got oh, to the Do okay. Not Okay, this speak wasn't when I was in New York. No, this wasn't in Harlem. No, this wasn't in Harlem. The Miss Houston memo. Nobody. Yeah. Whitney came in and went right through the green room. And oh, right. at the time, I was so, so, brother, you may not have been up, because at the time, I think I was. No, I was there. Okay. So I was, I was music researcher, but I was still kind of Lydia's second assistant with big people call. And so uh, 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 Clive Davis called because they couldn't transfer him into the green room where Whitney was. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, Kevin, Clive Davis, he said to put him on hold so that he could be patched through. So he's waiting. And I, so I run down, open the green room, and Whitney Houston is, you know, Whitney Houston from Jersey, Newark. Whitney Houston is out cussing anybody I've ever heard in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 like cussing bad enough to back up out of the room. Like, wait, 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 wait I'll leave. But she's like, no, 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 but you know, like your Aunt Jerlene, you know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. all these my hello, that, you know what I mean? She was cussing somebody on the phone. She's like, no, no, hey, baby. I was like, Clive is on the phone. He needs to speak with you. He just wants me to, all right, tell me, by the time you get back up there, I'll be up. Now, furthermore, bitch. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was harsh. And then, um, so she talked, you know, I come back down and, and patched Clive through. And um, she said, come here. And then she finishes with Clive. She said, come here. She said, what's your name? I said, Kevin. She said, Kevin, how come ain't nobody talking to me here? I said, because we were given the avert the eyes to not misuse it. Uh, preamble to your arrival. That's what you're talking about. Who in the hell said that? I don't understand. Come on, baby, let's go. She opened the door. Hi. She said, introduce me to everybody. Hi, I'm, a, I'm Whitney Houston, and you are? Hi. She stuck her head in the waiting room. I mean, in the makeup room. She spoke to security. She went down the hall. She's like, what y'all not about to do when I just released my black album to try to get myself right with black people is tell black people not to speak to me. Hey, girl, how you doing? It was just funny because, like you said, Butter, we had gotten this whole nobody speak to her, and she's sitting in the box. That's why when she got on video, so she put her feet on the couch. Like, I want y'all to understand. <laughs> you know what? I have one. I have a Missy Elliott story. Uh, Missy did Rad City, and I, I forget who the, but I don't know if you remember who, who was Missy Elliott's label rep. Do you remember? Mm. It was on a, that Atlantic at the time. Was yeah, she was. She did whoever it was, whoever it was, came and told that we weren't supposed to give Missy but so many instructions. She's not in a good mood. Was Sometimes she may. Was it Nikki? Huh? Was it Nikki Benjamin? It might have been. Maybe it was. I don't remember. But that was and John. Missy was missing on John. I don't remember. You guys remember better than me. But all I know is I was giving this whole edict about her. And then when we went to do the show, she was like the sweetest. Everything I needed her to do, she did. And I went back to labor. But I said, I thought you told me. And it was a, and like, I would see that a lot. Like I had that with Missy where everything I was told, by the time I worked with Missy, 
it was a total direct opposite. Then I realized like, oh, this is for you to label rep. That's your job to do so. So I learned that early on that that's what a lot of label reps would do. They also steal your ideas and make the artists think that that when they come to Rap City, that they came up with the idea. Artists' phone numbers because they wanted to directly engage. I'm coming next week. What are we doing? What so are we that doing? Yeah. Yeah. Label rep yeah. steal the yeah. idea and make it seem like they producing BET. Like they yep. like, that's not like D Brad. That's not like D Brad. Yeah. Right now we got Roger Maloney jumping in the mix. Roger Lakes, he had the waiting room. <laughs> Roger, you good? <laughs> That's what you get for being late for the Rap City Chronicles podcast. You get the waiting room, son. You get the waiting room, son. Roger! Uh-oh! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Roger Maloney, um, founder of Ufront uh, Media. Uh, created my own uh, online TV guide and to promote uh, black content creators because I was tired of um, looking at them, trying to find them on YouTube. So I, I try to decide, now I said, let me just put them in front by doing interviews in the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. But forget all of that. He's <laughs> a legend. He's not a legend. <laughs> DJ is a silent, DJ is a silent legend. Oh, he's a what kind of legend? Uh-oh, uh, tell on the mic, oh. <laughs> but, but DJ, you know what? I would like to get more there was something, but, but there was something that you said that, that caught my attention that I think is imperative for people to know. When you were let go, because I actually wrote it down, talk to the, the first time you were let go from your job. You know a lot of times with us, the first job we get, we think it's going to be forever. Mm -hmm. And if we go through adversity, we're stunned. But when you were let go, what kind of hustle did it entail? What was your mind state that allowed you to to get back up? Because you're basically an entrepreneur, right, in that sense. Because yeah, you're I actually... So what was your mind state? Well, here was the thing. Everybody knew, like, there was a rumor going around during that time that L.A. Reid was coming. Remember when L.A. Reid was coming in to take Clive's place? Remember during that, that moment? And I had only been over at Arista for not even, like a, like, a year and some change. I think it was, like, a year and some change I was there. So... Um, Lionel Rittenauer, who was my boss at the time, he didn't say nothing to anybody, but I knew the inside because I knew, I knew Clive's people. So I was cool with all the Clive's assistants and the people who worked on it, it, you know, for him. So I knew what was going on. And they told me. So what I did was I said, well, I'm not going to sit here and play myself, you know, let me just, uh, I could pack my office up and do this shit at the crib. <laughs> I can do this at home. So I got the, um, the schedule, like the release schedule. I went and got the release schedule and I, I wrote out a little, a whole plan. And I went to Lionel's office because Lionel said nothing. He said nothing. And I said, and, and I know Lionel well enough to know, I said, he ain't going to say nothing. So if I don't make this happen, it ain't going to happen. So I went to him and I, I pulled out the schedule and I said, listen, here's the release schedule. Here's who's coming out. I know that we're getting laid off. You haven't said anything about it, but I know that we are. And then he started laughing. <laughs> he started laughing. Can you believe that? Because he didn't say nothing to us. And so um, I said, so I can, I said, I can literally do this from home. So can we make this, ha can we make this happen? And he looked at the schedule. And he looked at what I had written out. He said, yeah. 
He says, send your, um, he says, send, invoice me, send your invoice over and we'll get this started on Monday. So I got laid off on the, on a Friday and was, was an independent contractor for them that Monday. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, it was like, it was a quick transition right away. And that's when I, and that's when I said, okay, I have Arista. And then that's when I picked up TVT records right after that. Okay, okay. And then yeah. I want to go to you, Butter, with a similar question. As freelancers, and Kevin and, and Roger, you, you, you all as well, the same question. As a freelancer or someone when you work, like I know when we worked at BT, we moved to New York, they kept some of us. But when they let you go, what is your mindset? Like, what is it that gets you going outside of just a panic if I need another job that, that um, you can learn from as far as like when you decided to do butter in a role management, what exactly outside of maybe finances was that inspiration? Well, I mean, the butter on the road thing is just because I've always been good at making up names. <laughs> so <laughs> I made it up because I needed to make something up. Now, as far as the moving to New York, um, the funny thing about it, is just like Deidre said, there were rumors about the fact that the DC office was going to close down. Mm -hmm. We were kind of hearing little rumors. And so I personally started trying to ask questions like, okay, so what happens <laughs> if this happens or what happens when this happens? And I had, the funny thing um, that I can never figure out is Stephen Hill. Stephen Hill, as some of you know, he was the head of the network at the time, or of the DC um, music campus. And we had a funny relationship. It was like, he was kinda against me, but for me at the same time. Like, I felt like the fact that, as you know, Dave and Kevin and Deirdre can all tell you, I don't take no shit. I don't take no shit from nobody. Never, no, no. And I didn't oh, think, I didn't so everybody had a response to that. Don't try. <laughs> don't try. I didn't take it from Steven either. So in a way, I felt like he respected that, but at the same time, he was always trying to make me bow down to him in some sort of way. So that friction, I think he decided that he needed my energy in New York, but he didn't really tell me. Like, I was like everybody else. When we lost our jobs or when they shut down the DC campus, I was like, oh shit, this was like the ideal job, the perfect job, I loved it. And now what am I gonna do? And I hadn't really thought about it. And then mm -hmm. I got called into Steven's office and he told me that I was one of the people that they chose to go along to New York. And Lynn Harris Taylor was his assistant at the time or his second in command. And so he told me to check with her. And I remember going into her office and she was like, yeah, we're going, we want you to come. We want you to set it up. We want you to do all this. And, you know, we're gonna hire some more people. And I remember distinctly saying to her, oh, so I got a raise? I got a promotion? <laughs> and she was like, no, 
we don't have all the promotion. Was this before or after the, the meeting that they had where they fired everybody? It was after. Because at that point, I knew uh, we were all supposedly being fired. But then Stephen called me in and told me that I was going to go to New York. And then he told me to talk to her. So when she told me all these responsibilities that I was going to have in New York, I was like, okay, so that means I'm a producer now. Because I was still an AP at the time. An associate yeah and she was like no no we just want you to you know go up and do that and i was like no i said if you want me to go up there and do all this i'm not gonna go up there and then not be a producer i just had to take that stand and at that time i thought if it don't work it don't work but i'm not gonna let you use me i'm not gonna let you come on uh, you know, and she, and it, but it was so funny because as soon as I said that, she said, okay. It was like she was just trying to trick me into submitting to something less. <laughs> and then as soon as I told her what I was going to stand for, she said, no problem. And that was it. So I know earlier, um, uh, your your brother, um, D-Brad, he, he said something about what, we would tell young people or right. people who want to get into the industry. I mean, you have to have a real true passion for whatever it is you're trying to do. Like, don't get into it thinking you just want to hang around celebrities or have a job that you can brag about. Like, a lot of people go to school for it. And I think that's the first and foremost way you should handle it. I was lucky. I didn't go to school for television and film. And I told you earlier, I, did. I was able to get into it. But if you go to school for television and film and then you intern like Deidre, you, that's how you climb the ladder. But if you decide you want to be involved in music, really like music, don't say, I want to be a, in music television just because and you don't even like music because you've got to have that you got to have that passion mm -hmm. to back up what you're trying to do but there's definitely ways to do it in a format and going to school for radio television and film interning those are valuable tools that you know everybody should. it's 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 um you know coming up and going to school and and, and co being in school of communications and you know, I was really supposed to work in radio. This wasn't the, like this wasn't my first choice of of career. You know what I mean? Um, and nor was nor was um, nor was radio. Is really I transferred to Howard. So when I transferred to Howard. I was in um, marketing. I had chemical engineering and I did marketing. And then when I transferred, it didn't. None of my credit credits went over. So I ended up getting into communications because I didn't want to do that engineering over again. <laughs> so, um, you know, jumping into that sector, it's like these, like now when you talk about internships and, and, and experience, like today, we're in 2020 and it's not, the, it's just, it's, it's not the same. And not that I expect it to be the same, but I think the ethic of working, having experience and having work experience is really not there. And I think that's what's, that's what's hurting a lot of companies is that they have people who are there, especially in, I'm talking not just a lot of companies, a lot of media companies 
music companies is that they have people who come into these arenas who hung out with people like they just I hung out with this artist for five or six years now I now I'm the vice president of A&R like how does that happen like what does that mean? <laughs> you know um you get what I'm saying? Like it's just, same thing with filmmakers you know, with these phones. Yes, with phone. Not anybody yeah, can I be just, a filmmaker. I just shot life. a whole porno on my iPhone 11. <laughs> 11 you know, now I, I now I was able to make a movie. You even say it's just kind of like it's just it, it's it's wild to me. And and but needless to say, what I'm saying is is like you know when you talk about freelancers and entrepreneurs and things like that. You know, working in the industry is great. But one of the big key things that's really um, that I really started learning a lot about myself and learning a lot about this business is what happened when I not stepped away, but just kind of when I, when I decided to work for myself, when I decided to be my own boss was when I had to start over again. If that makes sense. When I decided that I want to be at a record label that everybody loves and I decided to be my own boss and work for me, and work for different, you know, and have different people as clients. Like, I don't work for you. I provide a service for you now. So I'm getting paid to provide a service. And so now that I'm providing this service, I'm able to make a lot more money than I was making when I was, than I was when I was your employee, you know? And, and it's wild because I felt like I had to start over because when people couldn't believe that I would like, you know, why you left? Why did you, why would you stop doing like, why would you stop doing that? Like just, it was weird and it felt like I had to start over again. I had to start rebuilding relationships again. You would have thought I like left for 10 years, but I didn't. I just transitioned to something else. I'm just, I didn't go to another label. I just said I could do this shit alone. Like what the, what's the problem? You know I can relate. I got that you know, when I moved to Chappelle's show from BET. A lot of people in music TV was like, why would you do that? And I was like, cause Chappelle's show was brand new. So nobody knew it was gonna be a success. And people were bugging like, exactly. why would you? BET to come to this show, blah, blah, blah. But there's one question I want to ask Kevin, and it, because Butter says something about when we moved to New York, and I know Roger, mm-hmm. you came with us in New York, right? Yeah, I came to, I came oh, to okay. that in New York. Yeah, Kevin, yeah. and like I said, I have the story about this. When did you know they wanted you to come to New York? Was it before the meeting or after? So um, my story is kind of like Butter's, and I want to answer the other part of that question, but I'll answer that first. I um, was in the meeting when the whole music department was fired and we were told that we were going to be FedEx letters inviting us to interview to, to, to come to New York. And so um, what ended up happening is, you know, I think a week, maybe a few days maybe, went by and I got no letters. So I was starting to have other conversations at BET about shifting energy to other departments. And I walked past Lynn Harris's office and she's like, how come you haven't scheduled your appointment yet with me to talk about New York? I said, because you all said we were getting letters. I have no letters. She said, sit your head. She said, Kevin, sit down. Like, of course you're going. I was like, there is no course when y'all fired the whole department, right? And so just like Butter, I got the song. We want you to come to New York to do specials. We want you to do four specials a year because I've done Lyrically Speaking, which is special, you know, Music Inside Out, which is a special. And so the mm-hmm. other thing that was special, and she said, we're going to do four specials. We want you to do four specials a year. And like, but I'm like, I did four specials last month. You are watching the Rock City Chronicle podcast. Get my money now, Dad.